Good morning, and welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, if you don't know me, that makes sense because I'm brand new. I'm Shan Taylor. I'm the new pastor here. It's my first Sunday, so if you're new... <laughs> Thank you. If you're, if you're new, it's a good time to be new. We can be new together. So um, uh, welcome. I want to draw your attention to a, our Connect card. You can take advantage of this in two different ways. You can either text Connect to the number on the screen, or you can use one of the physical cards, uh, the analog way, old school, in the back of the pew, or pew, excuse me, the back of the chair in front of you. Um, grab one of those. <laughs> Don't want to start a church split this early. That's too soon. Okay. <laughs> Um, grab one of those cards, use the uh, online version, and just give us as much information as you feel comfortable. We're not trying to steal your identity. We just want to find a way to connect with you, to reach out and say, hey, we were glad to have you. Can we answer any questions and next steps that you want to take? So that's all we're trying to do there. So take advantage of that. As you're doing that, I want to take a minute to thank a few people. First, I want to thank everyone who texted me. Um, thank you for reaching out and giving me a picture, a little bit about your family. I want to thank you if you've texted me, and I haven't responded to you in about the last week and a half. I have about 40 unopened text messages. It's been a little chaotic for the last week and a half, so I will get back to you, I promise. I just need a little bit of time. It's been, there's been a couple of bumps in the road. God has taken care of all the big things. Um, closing went well. We're moved in. Um, we've got a couple of things you can pray for us is about a week and a half ago, our two-year-old Quinn fractured her shin. So she's, she's in a cast up to her mid-thigh, which is a lot of fun for a two-year-old, you can imagine. Uh, my wife is not here this morning because our seven-year-old has strep throat. So she's at home with the seven-year-old with strep throat, the two-year-old in a cast, and a six-week-old. So she would much rather be here. I promise you that. But um, so pray for those things. God is good. He's taking care of us. It's just a couple, uh, I, I don't know, I think Satan trying to dis distract us, discourage us. This morning, we're going we're gonna to learn about the Satan crusher. I'm enjoying that uh, truth this morning. So thank you for those text messages. Thank you for all the gifts. We've, we've received a lot of gifts from you. Um, they've all been very sweet, very meaningful. I need to say a special thank you to the college group uh, for their very special gift that they gave me by decorating my office for me. Um, I think of all the gifts that I've received, that one took the most work and the biggest time investment. If you haven't seen my office, I made sure to open the blinds and to rip down a few streamers. So you can see in there and see all that they've done, okay? So before you leave today, make sure you take a peek at all the hard work that the college class has uh, given to me. I also want to say thank you uh, for, you're probably wondering why I'm sitting here holding a trucker hat, but this is a lesson to learn. Be careful what stories you tell to John Edwards. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact timeline. John can confirm this to me, but I think it was a couple of weeks before I was going to come and preach in view of a call. I guess that's what we could call it. Uh, that's not exactly what happened, but um, I had a dream that I, I had come, I was going to preach, and I was staying with John Edwards. And so uh, we got up in the morning, and we just kind of followed his lead and went to church when he went to church, and we got here, and it was like 9.30. And he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot about the first service. And I was like, oh. What? And, he, and then he said in the dream, why are you wearing that John Deere trucker hat? And I was like, why am I wearing a John Deere trucker hat? So I told John that story, and so he decided to buy me a John Deere trucker hat, and the whole search team signed it for me. So thank you guys for that. It was very sweet. <laughs> All right, so if you want to, you can grab your Bibles and go ahead and find Genesis chapter 3. This is the passage that we're going to study later in the sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for us uh, so we can kind of begin to wrap our brains around it, begin to meditate over it. Um, let it kind of sit on our hearts for a little while. It's a long text. It's going to take me a little while to read it. Don't get too nervous. Um, we won't study the whole passage in-depthly, but I think it's important that we read all of it this morning. So I'm going to read for us, and then we'll begin our worship service. This is Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Father, we're so thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're so thankful that it is truth that we can build our lives on, that we can trust it now even before we've studied it, even before we understand it fully. We already know it's truth. We already can begin to, to place our faith in what you have said. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here this morning, that he would open our minds so that we can understand this word clearly, that he would soften our hearts so that we would be transformed by this. We ask that the proclamation of your word would transform us into the image of your Son. We ask, Father, that as we lift your name high this morning, that your name would be magnified, that as we are drawn close into your presence, that our hearts would be lifted up but that your name would be lifted up even higher. Father, we ask that you would do something in this time that only you can do, that your presence would be undeniable, that you would shake this place with your power, that you would make yourself known to us. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, that is our prayer today. Take our hearts, God, inhabit our praises, inhabit our lives. Fill us with your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me again to Genesis chapter 3. We won't have time this morning to study all of Genesis chapter 3 in-depthly. It's a long chapter. There's so much good stuff in here. We could easily get three sermons just out of Genesis chapter 3. 
But what we're going to do instead is we're going to track one theme, and that theme is the presence of God throughout this chapter. As I began to, to think and to pray about what it means for me and what it means for my family to, to move here, to become a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, to, to unite with this congregation, God began to place it on my heart that there is something very powerful and there's something very important in that name, Emmanuel Baptist Church. If you have been to a Christmas service ever, then you know that Emmanuel means, from the Bible, it means God with us. That when we call ourselves Emmanuel Baptist Church, essentially we are saying God with us, Baptist Church, is our name. And so God began to press it on my heart. What exactly does that mean? Why is it important? And I do think it is very important that we understand that. Now, maybe you would disagree with me. Maybe you would fall into Juliet's camp and you would say, I don't know, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. We could be Cornerstone Baptist Church and be the same church. We could be New Hope Baptist Church and be the same church. But I would disagree with you. I think that there is something very important about what we call ourselves. I would think there is something very meaningful in that name. Now, that's not true of all names. There are plenty of things that have what you would call misnomers. To be a misnomer is to have a name that does not represent, does not describe the thing accurately. And so we don't want to be guilty of being a church that is a misnomer, a name that does not rec uh, represent us. But there are lots of things in the world that have misnomers. I'll give you a few examples here. The first one is a centipede. Fair warning, kind of gross. We have these in Kentucky. These are called house centipedes. I don't know if they're here. I hope they're not. They're awful, um, and they're very fast. So, so why is centipede a misnomer, a bad name? Well, centa means 100, and pede means feet, so you would assume that a centipede has 100 feet, and you would assume that incorrectly. A centipede has anywhere from 30 to 354 feet, but interestingly, never 100, because centipedes always have odd number pairs of legs, meaning they could have 98 feet, they could have 102 feet, but they do not have 100 feet. Similarly, a millipede is also a misnomer. A lot more feet, just as creepy, um, but a millipede never has more than 750 feet, so short of that 1,000 foot uh, benchmark, I guess. Here's something a little bit cuter, a guinea pig. Well, a guinea pig, you would assume maybe, is from Africa, where the country of Guinea is, right? And you would assume that it's some kind of a pig. Well, you would assume incorrectly, because guinea pigs are from Peru. They're in South America, and they're not pigs at all. They're rodents, all right? So it's a misnomer. It's a name that does not accurately describe or represent the thing. We also have Chinese checkers. Not checkers, not from China. Invented... <laughs> In Germany, in the late 1800s, they named it Chinese checkers as a marketing ploy because they thought it would make it sound more exotic and exciting, and so they named it Chinese checkers. Last one here, we have the funny bone. You've all had this experience. <laughs> you hit your funny bone, you get that tingly feeling. Well, you're not hitting a bone at all. Maybe uh, you're hitting the ulnar nerve, and I would argue it's not that funny. It's, <laughs> well, it's not funny to me when it happens. It might be funny to you when it happens to me, but... So lots of things have misnomers, and you are right that in the grand scheme of things, these are harmless misnamings. I've never seen anybody get in a fight over the name of Chinese checkers. I've never seen anybody in a pet smart yelling at an employee, that is not an African pig, that is a South American rodent, you deceived me. Because <laughs> that's a, a harmless misnomer. But I think the name of a church is something very different. What we call ourselves is saying something about who we are. It's making a statement. The name that we put on our sign out here, right? That way. People drive past that sign every day. Emmanuel Baptist Church. God with us Baptist Church. It's saying something about who we are. It's telling them what they should expect to find when they come to worship with us. And so, what are we saying? 
We do not want to be guilty of misleading people. We don't want to be guilty of being ignorant of what we are saying. And so we're going to take six weeks to look at six passages in the Bible, three Old Testament, three New Testament passages, beginning in Genesis, ending in Revelation, and we're going to track this topic, this theme of the presence of God, this idea of God being with us. We're going to track it throughout Scripture. Now, in six weeks, we can really only begin to scratch the surface of this enormous theme throughout Scripture, but I think we're going to get a pretty good picture of what it means that God wants to be with us and what it means when we claim to be a place where God's presence is. And so we're going to start that study in Genesis chapter 3. But before we dive into that text, let me give you a little bit of context. What has happened up to this point in the Bible? It's only been two chapters, but a lot of things has happened. For example, God created everything out of nothing. That's a pretty big deal, right? There was nothing. You picture nothing in your mind and you picture silence and, and blackness. Well, that's still something. There was less than silence and blackness. And by the power of his word, God created everything. And then, as the crowning achievement of his creation, he made man. Well, why are we the crowning achievement of God's creation? Because we were made uniquely in his image. Now, that's a whole other thing we could study for a long time. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Uh, There's a lot we could say on that, but briefly, it means that there is something about who we are that mirrors or reflects who God is. For this passage that we're going to study today, it's important to know that as God is eternal, he has placed inside each and every person a soul that will live for all of eternity. In the same way that God has perfect union and relationship within himself, which is mind-blowing, within the Trinity, we are capable of having union and relationship with each other and with him. So in those ways, we mirror who God is. And that makes us unique amongst creation. And so God creates man, woman. He places them in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. He gives them everything they could ever want, everything they could ever need. And then he gives them one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. Now, you maybe have never read the Bible before, you maybe have never studied this passage before, but you already know where this story is going, because you know what's inside man's heart. If you're walking down this hallway and there was on the wall a big red button and a clearly printed sign that said, do not push the big red button, immediately, what do you want to do? You know what's inside man's heart. And you know where this story is going if God says, do not eat of this tree. Even though it is a warning, even though God has man's best intention at heart, we know what's going to happen. So let's dive into our text. We're going to just basically jump to verse 7, but verses 1 through 6, we see Satan coming, appearing in the form of a serpent, which is kind of strange. Why is he doing this? We'll actually get a pretty good answer to that later in the text. But in the form of a, a serpent, Satan causes Adam and Eve to doubt God's character. Did he really say that? Is it really true? And then he tells the lie, well, if you eat of this fruit, you will become like God. Now, we realize that this is really the one thing that Adam and Eve don't have. They are not God. And so, when Eve hears this lie and believes it, she then looks closely at the fruit, decides it's going to be good to eat. She eats of it. She shares it with her husband, who was there the whole time. They eat of it together. And then we see here in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened. Now, this is a metaphor saying that they saw something new, something changed. They were transformed. As Paul would put it later in the Bible, they instantly changed in that moment from children of God to becoming children of wrath. Their hearts were changed into being sinners. And part of the result of that was, as we keep reading, that they knew that they were naked. Now, this is in contradiction to what we could read in chapter 2, that when God made them, they were naked and unashamed. Because they were innocent, because they were sinless, their nakedness was not a, a source of temptation. It was not a source of sin. It was not something that caused them to be embarrassed or ashamed. And now that they are transformed, they are ashamed of their sin. They are ashamed of who they are at their core because of what they've done. And they decide that they sew, to sew fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. 
Now, he had a Hebrew professor who took many trips to the Holy Land to say, this was an interesting decision to use fig leaves um, because they are bigger leaves, but they're also kind of like scratchy and itchy, so maybe not the best choice. But either way, we know the intention behind their choice. What were they trying to do? They were trying to cover up their shame. They were trying to hide their mistake. And and I think we recognize that instinct in all of us, that when we mess up, our first instinct is try to fix it ourselves, to hide our mistakes, and to cover our shame. But this is a bad instinct, and it does not work. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We're beginning to get a picture of all that Adam and Eve have just thrown away because of their sin. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis, this phrase, this concept of walking with God is a phrase that is reserved only for the people who were closest with God, Enoch. They were hiding in fear and in shame instead of basking in the glory that God was with them. Instead of enjoying Emmanuel, they were hiding from his presence. This lie that they believed, the the sin, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, instead of making them like God, it made them far from God. So what we have to see and we have to realize is this is not just a story about a couple who lived many, many years ago. This is a picture of all of us. This is my story. And this is your story. This is your neighbor's story. This is your coworker's story. This is your teammate's story. Every person that has ever lived, this is our story. And it shows us this truth. Man's greatest problem is separation from God's glorious present. Man's greatest problem is separation from God's glorious presence. This truth is this need, this problem we have is both timeless and universal. All people of all time, it applies to all of us. But why, you might be asking, why would this be our our greatest problem? Maybe you want to push back, and I think that's fair. Think of all the problems that there are in the world today. Death and disease and, and famine and, and, and war and battle and strife. And there's so many problems. How in the world could we? Okay, I, maybe you will agree. Yeah, this is a problem. They had a good thing and they lost it. But there's so many problems. How do we say this is the greatest problem? Well, think of all that they have lost. Think of it in this way. I'm confident that you've had this experience like I have. Uh, I, I would assume that the people that you know the best people that you have a closest relationship to, the people you know most intimately are the people that you live with, your family. And I have, there have been times when I've gone to the store with my family, we kind of split up and go different directions, and I'm walking down an aisle by myself, and I hear in the aisle next to me, I can't see who's there, but I hear just one cough, and I instantly know that's my dad. I recognize him from one sound, one cough. I didn't even know that I knew what my dad sounded like when he coughed, but I know that's him. You've had that experience? There's someone in the world that you know that well, you can recognize from one little sound. Don't you see what Adam and Eve lost? They knew God so well. Their relationship with him was so close and so intimate, they knew the sound of him walking in the garden. And when they heard him, instead of walking by his side, they hid. But let me encourage you, because this verse, this is such a simple phrase, hiding from the presence of the Lord, it should break our hearts, but it also should lift our hearts up. It should encourage us. Because who designed the garden? Whose plan was it for us to walk with God? It was God's plan. This shows us that the, the, the depth of intimacy that God wants to have with us, that he's the one who wants to walk with us through the garden. And that was his plan all of along. But our sin, it messed it up. And our sin has to be accounted for. And our sin created this greatest problem, created our separation from his glorious presence. 
I don't know, maybe you're still not convinced. How could this be our greatest problem? We're going to see that as we keep reading. But I think you maybe could, if you thought about it, you could kind of logically come to the conclusion of why this is a major problem, to be separated from God's presence. You know, you maybe have recognized that there's this person you love, and when you're separated from their presence, your life is a little bit worse because you miss them, you're not as happy, and that's a problem. But is it your greatest problem? Well, that's not a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. Being separated from God's presence is a fundamentally different thing, and we're going to see that as we keep reading. In verses 9 through 13, we see basically a lesson on how not to deal with sin. Everybody's passing the blame. Oh, it was Eve's fault. Oh, it's the, it's the snake's fault. They don't want to own up. They don't want to come to God in honesty or, or repentance. They're trying to, again, cover up for their mistakes. And that fails. They're not able to do that. And the result of their sin is we're going to see in verses 14 through 19, four reversals of the blessing of life. Up to this point in the Bible, God has been creating and blessing with life. And now because we have sinned and we have separated ourselves from God's presence, those blessings of life are going to be reversed into curses. So let's see what they are. There's four of them. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So here we get an answer to our question. Why did God allow Satan to come in this form of a serpent? It's kind of strange, but what we see is that God intended for the anatomy of a snake to be a lesson to all generations of all people. We're supposed to look at a snake and be reminded of this story and be reminded that God is going to deal with Satan. That in the same way that uh, to crawl on your belly would be a picture of subjection, that is the place that Satan is going to be in. In the same way that eating dust would be a picture of humiliation, that is the place that God is going to put Satan in. And when we see a snake, it is supposed to remind us of the sure promise of God to deal with our accuser, to deal with our enemy. He will put him in his right place. And we see that in the picture of a snake. We see something else, a promise here in verse 15. I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, if you're reading closely, you'll notice there that this promise goes from a promise, a universal promise to all people to being a promise about one person. Okay, you see that? Between you and all offspring, there will be strife and enmity between you and the snake. I hate to break it to you if you have a pet snake, but we're not supposed to look at them and think that they're cute and fuzzy and cuddly. We're supposed to, be, we're supposed to look at the guinea pig and go, aw. We're supposed to look at a snake and go, oh. You know, like, like this is why Indiana Jones is like, snakes. Why is it always snakes? I hate snakes. Okay? That's... God intended there to be a lesson in that response, that natural human response. Now, don't, don't, don't give me e- angry emails, snake lovers, okay? But there's a lesson here of this generation after generation after generation of us going, that is the enemy, Satan is the enemy, and God is going to deal with him. How is he going to deal with him? Not with all of an action or a promise to all of us, but a promise because for one of us, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this word in the original language, bruise, has a range of strength, how you could translate it. And actually bruise is the weakest way you could translate it. You could also translate it strike, you could, or even the strongest would be to crush. So how do we know how to translate it? Is it bruise? Is it strike? Is it crush? Well, a good indication would be to look at the area or the body part that is being affected. So for example, the snake is going to have his head bruised while the man is going to have his heel bruised. Now, all of you who love the office know that a head injury is much more serious than a foot injury. doesn't matter if you've burned your foot on a George Foreman grill, a concussion is still more serious, okay? If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But you still get the idea. A head injury is much more serious. And so it would be more accurate to say, he, this man who will come from Eve, he will crush the serpent's head. 
even though he will have his heel struck or pierced. Oh, now we're getting a picture of who we're talking about, right? The one who had not just his heels pierced, but his hands pierced. The one who was willing to go to the tree of death so that we could have access to the tree of life. He, in that act, gave the death blow to Satan, put him into his place of subjection and humiliation. And at the end, the the, the culmination of human history, he will send him to his final place. And so in this promise, immediately God says, I know there is a problem and I'm going to take care of it. Look to my plan for redemption. Look to my plan for restoration. It's going to come through one who comes from Eve. So so that's great news that God has given us an ultimate solution to our problem, but first we see that there is a reversal of blessing, right? God intended for relationships to be defined by life and love and joy, but here we see that there will be relationships defined by death, both between man and beast and between man and Satan. And so that first blessing has had now a cursing, a reversal of that blessing. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In your pain you shall bring forth children. You shall, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. So birth was supposed to, was intended by God to be a blessing of life. The process by which more life would come. But because of the separation from God now, this blessing of life has been reversed and now it is the cause of great pain and even sometimes death. This blessing of relationship between man and woman has been corrupted and now it is the cause of strife and and disagreement. That's the second reversal. Keep reading, verse 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God had blessed them with this produce that came forth from the ground and provided everything that they needed in the garden. It was a blessing of life, of sustenance. And now because of their separation from God, that blessing is reversed. And now this process of producing the food we need is just as much a source of pain and death as it is the source of our sustenance. So we see this reversal, this battle of need and supply. That thing that sustains me is just as much killing me almost. And then the final greatest reversal was God granted life, formed us out of the dust, But because of our sin, one day we will return to the dust. One day we will die. And so, we have seen now more clearly why this is the greatest problem, being separated from God's presence. Because separation from the source of all life and blessing results in death and cursing. Separation from the source of all life and blessing results in death and cursing. This is really just common sense if you think about it. In James chapter 1, we learn that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This verse is simply telling us that every good thing in this world, in your life, is a gift directly from the source of all good things. Well, just think about it logically. If you create distance between you and the source of all goodness and all blessing, I thought I almost just fell off the stage, but it's just the, did you see me jump there? Okay. Okay. Sorry. It's a new stage. I got to figure it out. All right. Um, If you separate yourself from the source of all life and all blessing, where are you putting yourself? In a place of cursing and death. And so in this moment, God is revealing to the people, that's not where you want to be. I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's almost like an astronaut deciding that he's going to jump out of the space station into outer space without a spacesuit on. 
Well, he knows that's a foolish thing to do. Out in the vacuum of space, he doesn't have any of the things that he needs for life. The very air in his lungs will expand, causing his lungs to rupture. The water in his bloodstream, in the vacuum of space, the boiling point would be lower. The water in his bloodstream would boil in his veins. It's not a place you want to be because it is far from everything you need for life and blessing. This is what we've done in our sin. We have created distance between us and the source of life, the source of blessing. Where have we put ourselves? And this is just a picture of what hell is. Hell is a place where God is completely separate from you. Right now in this life, we are just getting a glimpse of God's wrath. But in hell, it is a place that is fully, completely separated from the source of life and blessing. It is a place where there is only badness and death. How could Jesus describes hell as a place with fire that burns eternally? But he also describes hell as a place of eternal darkness. How could that be possible? How could you have fire and darkness? Because it's a place with no goodness. A place where there can be fire with no light. It's a place that you don't want to end up. It's a place that God doesn't want you to end up. And this is actually, these verses immediately, at first glance, they sound very sad, dark, depressing, right? Oh, what have we done? God is cursing us now. But I want you to see that there is hope and grace even in this cursing. How? How so? Because God, in this act, is giving us just a glimpse of what hell is like so that we would not continue down that way, that we would turn away from our sin and run back to him and his grace. He is showing us that even his wrath is designed to lead us to grace. Paul would put it in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He wrote 1 Corinthians, which is a pretty tough letter, a lot of correction in it, and it led the Corinthians to a place of grief. And he says in 2 Corinthians, I'm kind of sad, but I'm not really that sad because your grief was godly grief, and it led you to repentance. That is God's design in pouring out this taste of his wrath, was so that we would run from his wrath to his grace. He says kind of a similar thing in Romans chapter 1, that there are these people who, who are continually turning to their sin, their own designs for sin, and it says that God gave them up to this wrath. He allowed them to go down that path. Why? So they would see, this is not where I want to spend eternity, and praise God, this is not where he wants me to spend eternity. He's not only a just and a righteous judge who will account for sin, but he's also a merciful and loving father who wants to be God with us. And so he will take action to account for our sin. This means that if you have this unshakable feeling as you walk through the world, that this isn't how it's supposed to be. All of this pain and heartbreak, all of this death and disease, this battle, these wars that's going on, you go, this doesn't seem right. You are absolutely right. That was not how God intended for this life to be. But in his mercy, he allows us to experience a taste of his wrath so that we would run to his grace. So it is not good news, but there is good news here, right? And if that isn't clear, as we keep reading, it'll become even more clear because praise the Lord, this is not the end of the story There is hope. There is deliverance from this greatest problem. So look now at our final verses. Verses 20 through 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This seems kind of like a hard right turn. Seems out of place for the narrative. Like this seems out of place, right? Well, 
that's on purpose. The Holy Spirit is a perfect author. He inspired Moses to write this down for a very important reason. And so if something seems out of place, it's probably for emphasis. It's probably trying to say something important. And so it's a, what is it trying to say? It's less clear in English than it would be in the original language. Because in the original language, the name Eve... In Hebrew, sounds like the word living in Hebrew. It's a play on words. It's supposed to be a reminder of Eve as the source of all living. In English, it would sound more like this if we followed the play on words. The man called his wife's name Olivia because she was the mother of all living. You see how that works? That's what's happening in the original language. So why are we being reminded here that all people who ever live come from Eve? Well, it's because of the promise earlier in the chapter that there was one who would come from Eve who would be the Satan crusher. That's good news. Especially after hearing about the, the cursing of being far from God, the cursing of being associated with Satan, it is good news to be reminded that he is coming. Christ will come from Eve. Verse 21, I'm going to see uh, two more signs of hope in this text. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So, you remember that they were covered in fig leaves, probably not real comfortable at this point. They're probably happy to have some uh, skins for clothing instead. But more importantly than that is God demonstrating his character in this verse. This is a pattern that we will see over and over and over throughout Scripture that is just now first being introduced, which is that God will provide a substitute. Who would we expect to be the first death? Well, God said, uh, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. We would expect for the very next thing to happen is Adam and Eve drop dead, right? No, but he gives them time so they would turn back to his grace. And in that time, he provides this substitute death. And this begins to show us the pattern that will develop all throughout Scripture that will culminate in Jesus Christ being our substitute for all of eternity keep reading. Verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim or an angel and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, you're saying, okay, I don't get it. How is there hope in these last few verses? Let me ask you this question. If God was done with the tree of life, why wouldn't he just destroy it? Why would he protect it and save it? Because he wasn't done with it. He had a plan to allow us access to the tree of life, the source of eternal life, through his son going to the tree of death. So there is hope here. Even in these verses, we see already God's plan of restoration. We see him immediately take action. We fall into sin and he immediately says, don't worry, I have a plan. And so we see here that restoration into God's glorious presence is accomplished by God's gracious plan, through God's gracious plan. Restoration into God's glorious presence is accomplished through God's gracious plan. He's not done with the tree of life. He's going to give us access to it. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, then he took your curse for you. And when you come to the end of this life... When you return to dust, this will just be the beginning of your resurrection life. There's a a song, Christ Be Magnified, and it says, Death is just the doorway into resurrection life. Christ has even defeated death. He has even reversed the curse of death and turned it back into the blessing of eternal life. Never forget, never forget that God's very first action after man's very first sin was to come after us. 
He didn't leave us in our hiding. He didn't leave us in our shame. He didn't leave us in our fear. He came to find us. And he gave us these glorious promises that you can be restored. Now, now Adam and Eve, they didn't fully understand all that this meant. Even Moses didn't fully understand all that this meant. But they knew that it was a promise of hope. They knew that it was a, a pathway towards redemption. And we now, on the other side of the cross, know exactly how God fulfilled these promises. It is through his son's willing death burial and resurrection, that he defeated death, he defeated Satan, and he provided the way for us to be restored back into his presence. It is only possible that we could be Emmanuel Baptist Church because of what Jesus did on the cross. If not for Jesus, there would be no Emmanuel Baptist Church. There would be no God with us. And this is why we want to be Emmanuel Baptist Church. You realize what we're saying about ourselves? We're saying the, the problem, the greatest problem that all men have ever had, the problem that you have, the problem that your neighbor has, the problem that your, your friend down the street, your problem that your coworker has, we know the solution. It's through Jesus. He is the only way that we can be restored back into God's glorious presence. And we are proclaiming that with our very name. You want, to find, you want to come be with God? Come be with us. He's here with us. Not because of who we are, or because of anything we done, did, but because of Jesus and what he accomplished for us. Because he is our Lord, we know he is here with us. Do you want to be with God? And come be at Emmanuel Baptist Church. But understand, that's a big claim, church. That means we need to be ready. When guests show up, they better sense the presence of God here. Which means we have to be on our knees, desperately begging, God, come be with us. Come show us your glory. Fill this place with your spirit so that when people come here, we are living up to our name. We know that that's what you want, God. We know that you want to be here with us. And we know that this good news needs to be proclaimed across the world. So come, be with us. This message, this news is so important. We have to say it with everything that we are. We have to say it even with our name, with our sign on the street. God wants to be with you. This is good news. Amen? Maybe this is the first time that you've heard this good news. I want to give you a chance to, to take action from this truth that God has shown us. So we're going to have a time of response. That's kind of a churchy way of just saying, do what God is telling you to do. As the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, and I am confident this morning that the Holy Spirit is moving in hearts in this room. As the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart this morning, be obedient. I'm going to be down here in the front, ready to talk with whoever, to help whoever, as God is leading you. Maybe you've just now realized the depth of the problem of being separated from God's presence. I can show you from the scriptures how Jesus can be your Lord, and you can be reunited back into God's presence. Maybe you realize now the meaning of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and you're saying, that's a church that I want to be a part of. You come forward and and express your desire to join with this church through membership. However God is leading you, it's time to move. If nothing else, let's, let's proclaim this truth that we sang earlier in that new song, Graves to Gardens. This is what we sang. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Don't you see, church, that he intended us for the garden? But we are for turning our grave back into the garden. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Yeah, you may be seated. All right, well, thank you for joining us in worship. Together, we are so thankful that you're here.
like has been said before, if you are interested in connecting with us, please find a leader. Please fill out a connection card. Find somebody to talk to. Um, we would love to have you as part of our church. Shan, we're very thankful that you and your family are here. We're thankful just to see the evidences of God moving in our church. Um, we're, we're excited to see your whole family here for at least one time. I think they'll be here at least one time. Um, thank you. For, we're excited to have the reminder that we can be reconciled to God. Um, another thing we're thankful for is it's summertime. Is anybody thankful that it's summer and you're not in school? Um, that's your reminder to pick up a summer schedule in the foyer and in the cafe. Those are available. Uh, a few important events on that. Next Sunday, we are going to have a VBS kickoff event called Will They Stand? It is going to be an encouragement, not just for the people registering for uh, children or to volunteer, but for our entire church to see what, what is VBS, what is the vision behind VBS, and are we as a church going to stand on God's Word, especially like in how we communicate that to children and bringing up the next generation. So I encourage you to be here next Sunday at 5 o'clock. Um, you'll hear from Greg Allen, our children's director, and from Shan. Um, VBS signups are open for volunteers. We need about 70 or 80 volunteers to help make this event possible. It's such a great way to serve our community and to serve our church <clears throat> So if you want to volunteer, please sign up. We need about 20 or 30 more volunteers. Uh, VBS this year is June 25th through the 29th. <clears throat> the theme is Keepers of the Kingdom, and we will be talking about God. We thank you that Jesus is reigning and ruling and will continue to do so until death is defeated and we are made alive with Him forever in Christ. We pray that uh, we would... Love our neighbors well by telling them that they can have right relationship with God. We pray that you would continue to protect us, keep us safe, love, and serve you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.